Hello and welcome to this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast, recorded on October 19th, 2015. I'm your host, Billy Newman, and I'm betting that you pick this up either on iTunes, uh, through the podcast feed, or at BillyNewmanPhoto.com. And this is a, a semi-regular basis where I get to uh, kind of chat a little bit about what photo projects I'm working on or what kind of different things that I'm going through, uh, you know, day in day out. And I had a couple things to go over today. Uh, one of them was, um, was just all the new photos that I'm, uh, that I'm working on and, and trying to publish right now from, uh, from this past, uh, month or so. And that seems to be kind of the continuing, uh, turnaround time for a lot of these images that I'm trying to work on. It's around four weeks or so from the time that, uh, that I plan a trip or, or am working on photos and the amount of time that it takes to kind of process it and then bring it back to, um, back to the house and, and figure out what's going to be best and then uh, figure out what to kind of have sent out from that point on. Um, so it seems to be about four weeks every time. So right around now on the 19th of October, about four weeks ago, is the uh, the period where I was traveling through, uh, through the lower Rogue River in southern Oregon on the wild and scenic section. And I was taking a, a lot of film photographs through that time. So during this, I thought, I know I've already talked about a bit of the story of the trip down the lower Rogue. Um, which uh, which we might kind of dip back into here and there a little bit, but uh, but most of this is going to be about the process of working on the photographs over the last few weeks and and sort of how we get from uh, uh, from where we were a few weeks ago traveling on the fun side, the expedition, the adventure side of taking photographs, and then now we're at the the point where we're working on them and kind of processing them for a period of time, and then there's this this tricky point, and and really I think this is kind of um, well, I think it's probably the main f focal point uh, that I that I need to work on, you know, in my, in my photographs. But it's this point here where now, after a few weeks of, of kind of working on the image, selecting the image, uh, editing down, you know, from from whatever larger number to to just the single image that I want to publish and get out to people. How do I get that to to reach people? How do I get that to to be marketed to people, or you know, to kind of spread out to people? And uh, and I, I really don't think about that too often. I'm really only trying to. I don't. I don't even want to sound blowhardy about it. I want to be really honest about how I work on the photographs, you know. And so most of the time, it's really just I have my film camera and I'm out shooting uh, things that are kind of occurring in my life generally, and that I think is is expressed uh, over and over again in the photographs that uh, that I try and put up on my website and and put up on Instagram and other places too. Is uh, is just sort of uh, a little bit more. Uh, messy or, or a little bit more off the cuff or, or something that's kind of happening now and um, something that's kind of crafted a little bit more. What I notice a lot in digital photography is uh, this lack of the craftsmanship side of the image where a lot of it was just kind of digitally pressed and very clean every time but it didn't really have a lot of the artifact or a lot of the signature left by the person or the artist who took that image uh, left in the photograph. I know it seems strange to, to kind of break it apart that way where uh, even though, you know, a, a digital photographer and I shoot digital all the time, uh, works and makes total sense to try and produce like really crisp, clean, tight images that are good for print. I really think that we kind of miss a little bit uh, without uh, more of those artifacts, more of those unusual color caster parts, parts of the equation that weren't totally defined and corrected digitally. And I know that for a long time, the hope was just to get better images, better photographs, more acceptable photographs. But uh, from my experience, I noticed that um, that the 
the clean digital signal is not always the most appropriate way to get the feel of an environment. And I think that uh, that a lot of people on the audio side have kind of thought about this for a long time. When I when I talk to people that would uh, that would work in studios, or, or my dad was a musician and did a lot of studio recording stuff, and and other friends of mine who kind of got into sound engineering, they would talk about the the separation that happened when we moved from the analog phase, the analog industry of recording digital or recording music, um, to this this digital era of recording music, and and how there was a lot of the well i guess it was always referred to as like the warmth of vinyl right you'd hear that that kind of term every once in a while but there's a, a lot of this organic um or analog warmth that would kind of come about from uh, a lot of these analog technologies and i'd i'd account film on the photographic side and i'd also count tape or vinyl on like the audio side or or even really just if we're talking about um uh i guess like what would it be? Is it tube modeled or uh, like chip modeled? I think that was a separation. It's like after, like in the 70s, a lot of the audio equipment, if we're still t- keeping with the audio analogy, a lot of the pro audio equipment um, was uh, was using like like tube modeling um, where the sound would, would physically pass through uh, physical characteristics of the electronics to make it adapt the sound that was recorded. And then now, to simplify the process, the Chinese have mass-produced these very inexpensive chips that try and duplicate that same response in the audio quality. But what we noticed, and, and I think what we noticed more over time, or uh, if we, we take that observation of uh, whatever kind of piece in that audio we don't really understand, or whatever piece in this digital photograph from a phone we, we don't really accept or don't get into, what we notice is that over time, that after 10 years ages very poorly and I think that's what we see in a lot of 80s music in the way that things are mixed or the, the weird kind of uh, like tight high sounds that were part of that um, and we lose a lot of that soul that was brought in with uh, with the audio recording techniques that were used in the 60s and 70s and, and kind of dropped off as we moved to CD in the digital format 16-bit and then uh, has kind of dropped off even more as we moved to uh, MP3 compressed audio files and earbuds is the main way of, of reproducing the full harmonic range that would be represented by the original recording of the instrument. Um, so that's why I think that uh, if you were to kind of think about that concept as uh, as something that's kind of a parallel to the film photography side of this, um, as we moved into this digital photography side, a lot of really clean, sharp images, but there's still this little bit that doesn't seem to age very well uh, year over year, even after we've kind of earmarked that we have reached a professional level or a professional, uh, uh, I guess, maybe look or frame or, or just kind of uh, representation. And good, goodness knows so many of these photographs are. Uh, but there's just this... I guess representation of sort of what the what it really felt like, or that it was actually uh, an image that was kind of created onto a piece of film that kind of physically exists, and it exists physically because it did exist physically. The light was reflecting, uh, or yeah, reflecting off of the objects that it was photographed, and and went, the photons went into the camera and printed themselves onto that cellulose in the back that film. And that's what uh, what kind of represents the picture that you see later. And I feel like there's there's still something you can see in the film that uh, that looks that way. Um, so, kind of a 
to go on and on about uh, film and about a lot of the stuff that uh, that I've been working on during that that period, that four week period, that kind of is that turnover of trying to get photographs from uh, from the side of being shot or being planned out or going down the lower rogue, uh, the wild and scenic section of the lower rogue with Robert and just kind of shooting fun camping photos and, and trying to get those good images, trying to produce a few things, trying to say, Hey, wait, um, let's kind of set, or let's set that down. Let's isolate this. That's one thing that I noticed. It's really big is a lot of people kind of, um, when I remember thinking about, and I still get a lot of anxiety about how to plan a photo shoot. What am I going to do? How am I going to structure? I'm going to go down the lower rogue for four whole days how do I produce everything that I'm going to want to see about the lower rogue over the next two years, just in those three days. And there's a lot of people that I know that get really wrapped up in the planning of certain things. And I have no problem with visualizing or, or conceptualizing, excuse me, conceptualizing images that, uh, that are going to be produced, but that never has come together for me. Uh, that, that idea of, uh, well, I'll just kind of can this inspirational moment for three hours and 27 minutes from now when I reach whatever point. just never really seems to come together. Whatever, whatever is happening at that time is what I have to interpret and what I have to deal with. And, and so whatever kind of cool idea, whatever thing I really wanted, it just doesn't really seem to come together for me. And others, critics of mine might say that that's, uh, that's an that's a representation of how poor I am at the craft of, of trying to do that thing and that uh, real professionals would be, uh, would be more apt and more successful at trying to pull that process off over and over again. And I can understand that. But, but furthermore, I guess my point would be that um, there's a lot of these images that, uh, that don't have the, um, I guess, the, the element of the image that kind of makes it something that, that is happening now or that, that seems fresh or that seems alive. Uh, and, and that's something that I'd like to, you know, try and try and capture more often, even with, you know, these still life things or these landscape things where it's really static, not a lot of, uh, of changing variables are going on all at any given time. Um, so I don't know. That's, uh, that's another part of it is that, uh, you know, like when we went down that lower road trip, there wasn't really a huge roadmap of all of the photographs that I'd need to get. And there really often isn't a structure of, Hey, you know what? How about you raft me down a mile? I'll get out. And then you raft back up river and then come back down again and go through this rapid one more time. There's really only one take for it. And often since you're a passenger in a vehicle, you're kind of going through a lot of the places probably rather quickly. Let's say like a rapid that you'd want to be out capturing or photographing to really get that expression of that location but you're not able to, you're stuck, you know, or you're, you're, you're in the vehicle that you're in and you're only out of it when you're able to be. So you don't have this omniscient ability to be at any place or redo anything in any context or any new lighting. And so that's another thing too, is on that lower road trip, we'd go through maybe some of the most beautiful places at high noon and that was photographed, but it doesn't translate. It doesn't represent the beauty of the place or the experience at its highest level or at its, at its highest elevation of, uh, of a photograph. You know, it doesn't really have that strength to it that I'd be looking for. Um, and so that's one thing that I noticed that the, with some of the ideas that I'd had preconceived in my mind of I'll get to this location and I'll photograph it in fantastic light. That doesn't come together. So I have to be more realistic about the about what I arrive, what I find, what I see, and, and then what I'm able to, to kind of create or structure or photograph while I'm there. Um, but it was good. Uh, so we captured all these photographs. I think I had about five rolls of film shot. 
I didn't bring a digital camera. I shot uh, some video uh, digitally and, and a few other things, or you know, more videos, uh, stuff like that that was that was shot digitally. But all the film photographs that I'll, I'll probably put out from this, um, I was all shot on the, the Nikon F4 that I've got and, and then scanned in at home um, into the computer and then, and then processed in Lightroom. And so, uh, so that process is really the one that takes the longest time. So we're working with the, the Prime Film 7200 uh, film scanner. I think it's by uh, Pacific Image or Pacific Imaging. And it was effective. Or it, that scanner's great. I really, I really dig scanning your own film and not having the store do it uh, unless you're sending out to a, a higher level uh, prosumer or professional film shop. And I don't think there's really going to be many of those left. So a lot of time you have to mail it away. Uh, to have the scans made, or or at least mail your your negative roll away, have the film developed and scanned in house at their offsite location, and then mailed back to you. And that process in itself is a very long round trip. So I save a good bit of time and probably another couple of weeks on top of my four week rotation, uh, just by being able to process the archival negatives locally and then take those those negatives that are processed and then scan them and then and then structure them or, or re-edit them or or, re or adjust those photos um, for print or for export uh, just at home myself in my own studio and I feel like that's the best that's the best analog or the best uh, parallel to the old darkroom system um, where uh, where you know you, you could shoot your film and develop it at home and then uh, kind of dodge and burn that photograph to kind of structure it a little bit and prepare it and then make a print of it or make an enlargement of it and then send it out. And so I feel like this is a, this is a good system for me and, and definitely has a lot of uh, a lot of conveniences from the digital age. And that's the biggest thing that I like to do is try and keep, um, how would I say it, like uh, they talk about multipliers, like blow, like Silicon Valley dudes will talk about, uh, oh, we need like a, how would I say, we need a, a efficiency multiplier. I think that uh, so much of the, the digital world, or what I'm trying to do, is is try and understand the efficiency multiplier that I can use uh, to try and make something better, to try and make something that was very difficult more easeable or easy to do, or usable, or you know something that's uh, a, a more appropriate process to get into. And that's where I think that uh, that using this kind of digital darkroom system or this digital darkroom workflow is one that that really kind of works well for me to be more creative and to get more stuff um, that I really like or that I think is uh, my best original product um, out. And so that's kind of why I try and try and dive into that a little bit more. And I guess why I spend so many minutes of this, uh, this podcast trying to chat about it. But, uh, but what it is is from the Nikon F4 um, developed in the, I think it's like C41 processing for regular 35 millimeter film. And then it's from there into the prime film 7200, uh, scanned. And I often, I often crank that back a lot. The idea of 7200 is, uh, is I think it's 7,200, uh, dots per inch, um, in resolution or res resolution of dots that are scanned on the negative piece and then, and then translated into a positive, uh, photograph that you'd be accustomed to seeing and then that is the file that gets imported into Lightroom and then adjusted from then on uh, to be color corrected and to have any kind of uh, scratches or marks or noise removed from it and then it's uh, cropped in a little bit to get any um, any of the, the fragments that are left over or errors that are left over on the edge of the film negative and you notice that more and more surprised um, kind of how variable the actual 
cut of the 35 millimeter film negative is. There's always wobbles or streaks or cracks or, or just some, some sort of affect or, or artifact that's, uh, um, that's kind of added into the photograph once it's scanned. And the software itself is really great at defining those errors and then removing them in the image that I get to see. So I get, um, I often really only have to deal with uh, this really nice contrasty saturated image that really represents the film photograph that I took um, in, a, in a really good way. And I think that software has a ton to do that. I think I use the, uh, let me look here, it's the the Silverfast 8 or 8.5 um, film scanning photo suite. And that works much, much better than the stock um, equipment or the stock uh, software that comes with uh, with the scanner when you first use it. With the stock scanner, you get these really strange yellow tones, a lot of mustardy colors, and just a weird color gamut that doesn't really seem to represent anything that um, that you'd want to see. So I'm not sure how that was put together, but it seems like not all software is created equal. And I don't know, it seems uh, kind of something that, that changes over time too, you know, and, uh, and I was thinking about computational computational editing, which is uh, another part of this longer process that goes in between me taking the photograph and the photograph uh, showing up to be to be published or, or just being finished and out of my mind, um, is, uh, is this computational editing part where we take these raw files or I shoot these negatives, let's say, and the negative is only really half of the development or half of the exposure that I'm really going to be pushing out um, as whatever I publish. Um, so when I bring in all the photographs that I have into Lightroom. I'm using Lightroom from 2015 because I'm in 2015, but in 2020, I'll be using a whole new suite of software, maybe even Lightroom still, that has all of these new features or abilities or algorithms to process the color data in the photo file in a different or more appropriate or less damaging or, or less artifact-inducing or less noise-creating um, way, you know, so I can bring back sharpening or I can bring back these highlights or these blacks. Um, and in a photograph that's already really good, I can, I can kind of structure it a little bit differently and, and the way that it looks. And then also my own skill over time will increase. So this is what I've noticed a lot with, uh, even going back more than four weeks, let's say to this, uh, to the, the river trip that I did where I'm editing those photos. Um, I'm going back further to 2012, the last time that I was in the wild and scenic section of the Rogue River while we were camped out at Blossom Bar. So I can take all these photographs or film photographs that I took at the time that were scanned at two megapixels, let's say, that were, and I can go find that film negative. And now I can bring it back in uh, to the new system that's updated in 2015 to the new abilities that I'm able to, uh, to express artistically in the photographs. And I'm able to bring that, that negative back. I can find the photo that I had a Blossom Bar in 2012 that was scanned at 2 megapixels from, from some shop in Fred Meyer. Um, and I can pull that negative, scan it, get a really high quality version of it that's maybe 20, 30, 40 megabytes uh, as a TIFF file. And that's so much more data and more color options and more pixels that I can use uh, to really kind of build that photograph up, to elevate it. And then when I do export it, it's at its highest... Um, well, it's just its highest effective level for my time now. And so maybe in 10 years or so, or 20 years, or maybe as I'm older and I still have all of these archival negatives, 
um, or these raw files that I photographed. Um, maybe there's, well, at least sticking with the film side of it right now, maybe someday I'll upgrade my 7200 DPI scanner, my film scanner, to something that's appropriate for the technology of the day in 2030, let's say, or suggest for the moment. And that way I can reformat these negatives or these photographs to the size and the technology that's available in that future date. And so when I'm talking about computational editing, I'm talking about editing uh, through computers over time and how that uh, that can really change. I mean, if you were to think about the photo editing capabilities that we'd have for an image file or for a graphic file back in 1995, 20 years ago, if we were to consider that for a moment, we'd definitely recognize, and very clearly so, that over the past two decades, huge advancements have been made in the ways that we were able to do image processing or uh, graphics processing or graphic development, or shading or shadows or rendering, any of that stuff increases hugely. Uh, over time. So we have to imagine that that still, you know, uh, over years and years, it's going to be very different in the future. And, uh, and we're still going to want to be able to pull out, uh, I guess, those, those new benefits that we have from that technology that comes out in the future. Um, and so I think uh, that's going to be pretty, pretty cool as, uh, as time goes on. What I've been doing now, or, or how that kind of affects me now in 2015, is I'm going back through a lot of these photographs that I took on that first trip that we did. Uh, I think it's now five years ago. During this time, actually, in, I think it was, yeah, in 2011, October 19th, 2011, I think we were starting our drive back uh, from, uh, from Utah. So I think we just finished up in maybe the Canyonlands area is probably where we'd be right now four years ago. Prior to that, it would have been in Moab, Utah, where uh, um, I think we were in Canyonlands for a bit. I think there's a north section. No, Canyonlands is further south. So Canyonlands, before that, we were in Arches and Moab. Before that, we were in northern Utah and then the Tetons and Yellowstone and all of that goodness. And so I have photographs from all these places, but they're edited using my laptop and my time on the road back in 2011. And now I can take all those raw files. I can bring them into this new version of, of Lightroom. I can color correct them on a color balance monitor for the first time. And I can kind of rework and re-edit these images with, uh, with first of all, with, uh, with the mind that I have now, with the skills that I developed over, over uh, five or four years of working on photographs and uh, you know, kind of learning how composition works, how color works, or how uh, color balance works, um, just just any of that sort of stuff. I, I understand so much better now, and I'm able to bring a lot more out of a photograph. I also see a lot of the strong mistakes that I made four years ago in, in putting too much contrast in, or too much yellow in, or too much saturation in, or too much clarity, or too many blacks, or whatever whatever kind of piece it is in the photograph that isn't really scientifically deduced as being the right choice. Whatever aesthetic choice that I've made that now I've kind of moved on from, or I've kind of grown past, I'm able to identify those things now, and then now, because I'm able to do computational editing, or I'm able to go back to that original source non-destructively and create a new copy of it that uh, that seems to represent that photograph better i'm able to do that and i am doing it now and so that's been uh, kind of the biggest thing that's been a huge benefit for um for the photographs that i took back in the past that maybe didn't work that good at the time or i didn't understand what to do with at the time or or maybe there were you know two series of photographs there's this mountain at such and such a time or, or there's this mountain with this beautiful 
sunset over it. And then there's this one uh, that next morning with maybe a different structure, a different sunset or a different composition. And I only published one of those photographs at the time to be kind of selective about how many things of the same subject I post. Now I can go back and I can look at all these cool pictures of mountains that I never posted or, or cool pictures that are uh, just kind of that second option that I didn't select on that day. I can go back and those are still really valid photographs. They're cool. They're interesting for people to see. They're new. They're unique, uh, you know, on their own, right? And I can re-edit that, rebuild it, and then send that out um, to be seen uh, to be seen now. So I can get just a little bit more mileage, uh, a little bit more behind the arrow when I uh, when I'm posting these photographs. Um, so I think that's a little bit about what I what I had to say about computational editing. Uh, a few of the other stuff that I, that I've been thinking of um, was uh, there's a lot of these backroads around here so we're, we're kind of getting into the changing seasons uh from well now definitely deep into fall we've kind of passed from that that early fall stage where we're going from that that light or hot september and august days now into those deeper september and now october days where it's uh it's more rain it's more clouds it's more 65 degree days of partly cloudy or mostly cloudy rainy days all that. So, uh, so what we get in Oregon, the, the big benefit is a lot of these uh, these chanterelle mushrooms that grow up in the the hills of the Willamette Valley or the hills of the coastal range. And so we're just now coming into that season. I think it's been before the freeze. We haven't really had a lot of terribly cold nights, which seems unseasonably warm if it were ten years ago. Hmm. Interesting how that is. I remember in high school it freeze by October twentieth all the time. Or it seemed like it. I don't know. I was only in high school for four years. What do I know? Um, <laughs> I'm not a farmer almanac. But uh, but since these chanterelles are, are starting to, to pop up, uh, what I've been doing is I've been taking off into the into the hills and trying to find more of these uh, these forest service roads that kind of cut back into the mountains or that kind of go to service a lot of the logging operations that might still be going on back in the woods. And there's a handful of them that I found, and, and they're really fun. They're cool roads, they're, and they kind of cut back into the mountains. So I've been doing this uh, to go and find these... these uh, these edible uh, mushrooms that you cook with and you add them to pizzas and stuff. You probably heard of chanterelles. They, they sell for like $16 a pound in the supermarket. And uh, God knows how much more is uh, on the markup if it's an item on the, on the meal that you're ordering. But, uh, but during these few weeks of the year in Oregon, you can go out at almost any time into these hills. If it's, uh, if it's been raining, if it's like 70 or so, and you can go find these, uh, these mushrooms and, and pick them and, uh, you know, make, make food and stuff with them. So I've been out kind of looking around for that, but a lot of that's kind of, uh, been tangential, um, to try and like work on some photograph stuff while I'm out there, while I'm trying to find these new roads. And, um, and I think it's, or how do I say it? it's like, um, it's, kind of one of the side effects that'll be part of this podcast for a long time is that you know i'll kind of go and, and ramble on for a long time about uh about the photograph side or about the images that i'm picking or kind of reviewing some pictures and stuff but uh but for a long time it or a lot of this is going to be about how to kind of find or, or talk about or, or kind of be interested in uh in different things that are that are pretty fun to do one of them is four-wheeling around in the mountains uh with your friends in a in a truck or something so um, so that's a, a big part of what I've been trying to do a little bit more of. I've been working on it a bit too. and I'm thinking about adding a bunch of lights. I think I want to talk to Dave about this. Maybe I'll get him on for a podcast here soon and we can, we can talk about some of the truck stuff that we've been doing, but I threw the, the top box back up on top of it. It's an old, uh, fully top box on a set of Yakima bars on top of my forerunner. And I'm looking into these led lights too. I know that they've made a lot of advancements in that. So I'm trying to find, um, a handful of like off-road lights that I can use so that 
that we're going to be more set up for um, four-wheel drive and, and night travel and off-road travel, um, which has been good times. It's been cool. So I'll probably come up uh, or structure out or, or figure out some kind of podcast to put together and throw up in the next week of, uh, of some of the new truck ambitions that I've got going on. And um, I think I've got a couple ideas about... Uh, some projects in Central Oregon that I want to talk about, a few other things too. But for now, we'll call it good, and I appreciate and thank you once again for listening to the Billy Newman Photo Podcast.